watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. A Wrinkle in Time, The Death of Stalin, and Thoroughbreds. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, we recently came off of the Oscars, and uh, what a weird day that was. We did came, we, we came off them. I don't know if we got off on them, but we did. No. But we did watch them together. Yes, we did. Guys, mom and dad were together watching the Oscars mm-hmm. for the entire run of it. Uh, from carpet on through closing. Carpet to the drapes. <laughs> the whole time. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I guess I do feel a bit of post Oscar blues now, mm, just knowing that. No movies for another six months. <laughs> you know, uh, how will I pass the time? I don't know. But, but yeah, we were, we have another award season in the books. It's done. Now we have a whole nother slew of movies that we can just pretend never happened and never speak of again mm, because we spoke mm-hmm. of them way too much for the last six months. Um, you know, I, the one thing I do like about, um, the one thing I did like about Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> See, the truth can come out now. It has its Oscar. Now let's all get real Everyone's about Get Out. And, what a piece of, uh, no, what? one thing that I liked about Get Out in addition to the fact that it was amazing is that it came out in like January or February. So um, usually going into this time of the year, it's like, oh, another less slog nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. 13 hours of Benghazi. Um, but, you know, there's hope for January movies. Um, now it's March, so fuck that. But you know yeah, what I mean. It's a hopeless month now. But in January, there could have been hope. Who knew? I didn't see any of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, there's there's newfound hope for genre movies in general. Because mm. our, our picture and director winner, The Shape of Water, is a genre film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his, so history was made in that sense. That's for sure. Um, An I, old fish flick finally won. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Fish Fuck Fridays, I think, is going to be mm-hmm, the new um, mm-hmm. the new event. Just in time for Lent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about you, but I did win my office pool. I, I did not. I predicted 22 of 24 winners. So. No, our pool at work is more like um, who will... Um, who will walk out in a in a, in a in a blaze of glory kind of thing? Not in like a violent way, just like, in a, <laughs> you know, like a middle fingers all around type of thing. So Francis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't bet on Francis? Right. Exactly. In that regard. Uh, you know, I saw uh, one one thing piece after the Oscars that I did really appreciate uh, was Kyle Buchanan and Vulture wrote a piece sort of taking issue with people who always complain that the Oscars are too long. Mm, yeah set your expectations yeah he's like why do we never say that about the super bowl uh you know there are all these giant televised spectacles that we never say oh it's so long you just know it's that long mm-hmm. you should be like oh sweet overtime yeah and for some reason for the oscars everyone's just like oh my god it's so long it's like well if you think it's unpleasant why the fuck are you watching it mm. and and he even took issue with like the kimmels of the world who you know, pepper their all their jokes. Basically, their every joke they have from after the monologue onwards about how long the show's running. Cut that joke. Save some you know, time. It internalize it in the audience, and I the do. audience is like, "You're right. This is running long." I think that the the speeches that are too long are not very interesting to listen to. Mm-hmm. So I would say if we can cut that part out, which they tried to do, 
Um, I'm okay with that. And and I would say I still would like a long, os- a long Oscars. Yeah, you know, and uh, and of course it was hilarious that no sooner had Jimmy Kimmel introduced his jet ski gambit, but he then introduced the first montage of the night. Oh, right, yeah. That was silly. It's one of the great questions, one of the great mysteries of this year's Oscars, but nowhere near as great as a mystery of why exactly Viola Davis was played on <laughs> with the Austin Powers theme music. <laughs> Which, you know, it, it's very funny to imagine her backstage and they're being like, Ms. Davis, we're so thrilled and excited and honored to have you back. If you could pick any music <laughs> in the world to be played onto that makes you feel powerful, that makes you feel sexy, that makes you feel like the Oscar winner you are, what would it be? And she just looks back and she goes, oh, behave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always loved Austin Powers. And if you could just play that, oh, it would make my night. <laughs> um, it's like one of those baseball walk-on songs that she got to pick. <laughs> right, exactly. Like... Right, and she just like runs out there in a mascot uniform. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a real puzzler um, because everyone else was played on by like Cole Porter songs and she was right. played on by the Austin Powers music. That was strange. Uh, here's the obligatory part where we say how amazing Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph mm-hmm. were together. Yep. Oh. I, you know, a hot take. I'm going to be the first to say it. They should host it next year. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. You should tweet that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to put it on the Twitter.com. Put it out there. It'll manifest it. Manifest it. Yeah. What uh, was your favorite part of the night? Um. Let's see. My favorite part of the night was being so right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, white. Being so white, I, I meant to say. No, uh, I was I was thrilled with my performance on my Oscar poll, um, and of course, in terms of the actual awards, they were they managed to avoid any giant embarrassments, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they managed to avoid anything interesting. <laughs> uh, so you know, so they kind of really broke even on the safety scale, and as a result, it is not an award show that gave us really anything to talk about. Um, you know, everything went exactly as expected. It was very predictable. It was very smooth. It did run an hour over. It's a lot of time. Um, but, you know, sometimes things take longer to get it right. So Francis's speech, of course, was the best moment of the night. There was, you know, triumphs for, uh, you know, the win for a fantastic woman. Uh, you know, there was, you know, some representation here and there. Not too much, but some. Uh, just the way I like it. And uh, yeah, how about you? What was your favorite part? Um, there was that little block of time where it was uh, a fantastic woman one, and then um, Coco won, and like a, the uh, like two of the people who accepted their awards thanked their like gay life partners, mm-hmm. and then Sufjan played and was uh, introduced by uh, Daniela Vargas from mm-hmm. Call Me by Your Name. So there was this like really queer section in the middle, um, right. which was amazing. That was my favorite part. Yes, that was a nice. That was quite. Uh... An inclusive stretch of the show, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate it as well. Although you know, I was just like, "Wow, I am firmly ensconced within my own echo chamber right now." <laughs> what am I on Facebook? <laughs> hey yo! Uh, but uh, it's funny that you mentioned Sufjan as like part of the queer chunk of the show. I, I mean, mean, come on! I know, I know. I just saw someone on Facebook the other day shared something from an account called "Is this Sufjan Stevens song gay or just about God?" <laughs> Always the nice. question. It's yeah, been the no. question since like 2003. It's uh, sometimes it's one and the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is for me. Um, the, the a fantastic woman winning was my favorite part of the night. Was it? If you had to take one singular moment, it would be that. That's yeah. when I felt the most happy about the way things worked out. Oh, yeah. I was very glad that it did not. That I, I, of the of the nominated films, that was the one that I was the most polling for. Mm-hmm. Since BPM couldn't make the mm-hmm. make the cut, I would have I would have preferred it over BPM as well. 
but we don't have to go down that road right now because I know you disagree. Um, I'm just saying it clearly the best picture was nominated and won. (laughs) No, don't talk to me. Talk to the Academy. (laughs) It's the foreign branch. I can't talk to them. You're still sore about La La Land. Um, I also, I eventually want to get used to you, but right now I'm so very appreciative still of having a host who doesn't make any bad comments. Like not mm. one sort of offhandedly kind of racist sort of sexist thing. Mm-hmm. Totally on point. Made very uh, real statements about things that happened as well as making jokes. Uh, I thought Kimmel did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. The only other person I would have trusted um, would, would have been Seth Meyers. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it was nice that they, it was great to see Ashley Judmere Servino and Annabelle Siora mm-hmm. uh, on stage together. That was a great moment. It's funny how the Globes just, what happened to the Globes clearly was was just a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't force or repeat the kind of energy that night just had. And, uh, but the Oscars still at least made space for it to be part of the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so that was terrific. Yeah. Should we talk about movies? <laughs> Let's talk about movies that may or may not be nominated next year. Mm. They won't be. <laughs> um, the first movie we're going to take a look at today is um, A Wrinkle in Time. And I hope you have about 45 minutes for me to read the description because Jason wrote a long one. I don't write these. These are the official descriptions. That's even worse. Oh, my God. Meg Murray is a typical middle school student struggling with issues of self-worth who's desperate to fit in. As a daughter, did you read the book? If you read the book, just go ahead and fast forward 25 seconds. (laughs) As a daughter of two world-renowned physicists, she's intelligent and uniquely gifted, as is Meg's younger brother, Charles Wallace. But she has yet to realize it for herself. Making matters even worse is the baffling disappearance of Mr. Murray, which torments Meg and has left her mother heartbroken. Charles introduces Meg and her fellow classmate Calvin to three celestial guides, Mrs. Witch, Mrs. What's-It, and Mrs. Who, who have journeyed to Earth to help search for their father, and together they set off on their formidable quest. Close your eyes. See with mine. You were a top student, but look at you now. You can't keep using your father's disappearance as an excuse to act out. Is that his work? What's it about? Their dad, he wanted to touch the stars. Imagine that the ant here wants to get to her other hand. The quickest option is to walk across the street. But it turns out a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points. Not if you use a fifth dimension. It's outside of the rules we know of time and space. So the ant arrives in my hand instantaneously. So you fall to space. More likely wrinkle it. We heard a cry out in the universe. My father's alive. We believe he is, and we're here to help you find him. We are in search of warriors. Warriors who serve the good and the light in the universe. You're kidding. Do I look like I'm kidding? A little. I'm not. I'm not. It's finally here, said someone who probably read the book. I have not read the book. Me neither. Did it come out later or did it come out way earlier? Way earlier. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Is it Christian? Is it like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? It do- it does, from what I'm told, yes, it's Christian-y. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I went and saw it with a friend last night who had read the book, and he was saying that, you know, it does, the book has a lot of sort of 
religious elements that feel very artlessly shoehorned into the story in places they don't need to be in the book yeah okay um but uh but yeah so apparently that is a piece of the book um but i think that there are probably you know generations of kids who grew up reading it without any religious association or connection to it i'm sure that's why my parents kept it from me because um, it wasn't Christian enough. Uh, no, because it was they probably I don't know probably too Christian or maybe not. I don't know whatever. Um, <laughs> You're going to wet the way I went they to do Catholic what they school. Do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a wrinkle. In, oh, because they, they hate they hate science. That's it. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, so tell me, is this everything you had? What did you have any expectations for this one? Are you uh, you know there's a lot of hype. There's Oprah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that I went into this very hopeful. Uh, because of many reasons, because, you know, Ava DuVernay, of course, has, you know, has established herself as, as, as such a force in film in the last few years between Selma and 13th, and before that, a smaller film called Middle of Nowhere. Mm. And uh, so the idea of her taking on, um, you know, this classic of children's literature uh, that is, you know, written by a woman about a young girl, uh, the idea of her, you know, sort of putting that under her own lens as a filmmaker... And then, of course, um, you know, making uh, more inclusive casting choices, um, you know, making the story about a young girl of color uh, and, you know, casting this this really insane cast of people to to fill out the story. When we were sitting there before the film and they had sort of like the the art up on the screen waiting for it to get started, I was like, let's just take a just, just take a step back right now and just look at the screen and just look at the images on it of Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling and Oprah done up the way they are just looking back at us these three women only one of whom is really thought of as like a full-time actress are about to be in this story just being projected into our faces I thought for sure you're gonna say like look at this state look at this screen one of these women has liked my photo on Instagram (laughs) and shared it uh that too but um you know I I was yeah I would say I was fairly I was fairly excited I did start to just that day though, yesterday, throughout the day, I just started, I don't know, I started to sense a lack of buzz yeah. from the internet because the film had premiered and like every celebrity who went to the Black Panther premiere also went to the Wrinkle on mm, Time premiere. Yeah, mm-hmm. And whereas all their Black Panther social media posts were like, this is fucking amazing. Everyone drop what you're doing and go see it. For Wrinkle in Time, their posts were, here's a picture of me at the Wrinkle in Time premiere. Mm. And uh, so I, I just started to feel a cool, a chill in the air. And then I watched the movie. And, well, I, I honestly take no pleasure whatsoever in saying that it is not good. Are you 100% sure this isn't... Um the grudge that you have against Avery DuVernay for that whole Super Bowl tweet Cloverfield situation. <laughs> just to, Can you just be honest for a second? Just look at yourself and wonder yes. if that influences your no. decision making? No, it honestly it honestly doesn't. Um, I think it makes me somewhat more disappointed um, that the film is as much of a mess as it is, knowing that she has been so, you know, so great in what she's done so far. Although I think it is worth acknowledging that she has a cult of personality around her uh, that I think has as much to do with her, um, the pieces of who she is as a public figure that aren't necessarily about her work. 
but I think that overall her work up until this point still has been incredibly, incredibly strong. And I start to wonder if it's just a mismatch of director and material in the case of Wrinkle in Time, because Selma and 13th uh, were so, um, they were so rooted in very sophisticated, complex adult emotion and experience. Uh, And she is obviously very deft at that. But with this, if she, she, she's not, she's just not like, it is such a botch job. Like I was just sitting there bewildered sort of by how unsuccessful what I was watching was like, it was so ambitious, but just a misfire. It's just, can you give me a more of a, can you give me some examples or like a feeling that's more it's really more of a lack of a feeling um Mm. so sort of like from the film from when it began from you know from the opening i was like waiting for that kind of like emotional grip to take hold that movies are supposed to have um especially movies that are sort of like meant to be very empowering and uplifting and uh and it, it just never took hold uh it was very it really keeps you mm, there you it doesn't give you enough chance to ever form a sort of an authentic emotional connection to what's happening because it's so busy sort of shoving new age platitudes into its characters mouths mm, that are not from the book um i think some are some aren't um and uh but in the case of for instance mindy kaling's character i guess this is true of the books too um, she literally only speaks in other people's quotes, um, but she attributes them. So she'll be like, bah, 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 Gandhi, India. Um, and, uh, except for now they've updated some of her. Oh, she sounds like my manager <laughs> oh, without well. the, uh, the attribution part. Oh, just claims her as her own. In this case, um, for the movie, they've also updated some of the characters references so that like, for instance, at the end, um, she says something like, there will be even more of us tomorrow. Miranda American and I sat there and I thought when did Miranda Hobbs say that Miranda July Lin-Manuel Miranda oh yeah I'll get the three dollar haircut Miranda American (laughs) his haircut bothers me I'm sorry it bothers me we talked about this also at the Oscars just cut it shorter dude it sticks up in the middle you're right it kind of does uh sorry (laughs) That's a valid critique. It's a valid critique. Back to you talking about how Ava DuVernay is more of a personality than a director. Go on, please. Didn't didn't say that. Uh, I just think that, like, in a way that, you know, it has, like, Ryan Coogler, for instance, uh, has made as many films as she has made. And and there's not the same, like, she's, she's almost revered as, like, a, like a... I don't know, like a goddess. Uh, And, you know, and I follow her on social media and everything, and I love everything she does. Um, I just think that she almost has had to shoulder an unfair amount of expectation as part of the cult of personality around her. And, And now this film is out there. And like as of today, today was when the embargo broke, and it's currently at 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So this is not, I am not an isolated opinion. Uh, in thinking that it was not super great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, so yeah, so it starts off, um, the film from a visual look is very, very distracting. Apart, you know, I think a big reason why it's hard to connect with it emotionally 
is because um you know she she's like there are all these people that don't look like me i don't know oh my god i'm just kidding i'm just kidding uh so, for instance, uh, she sort of insists on a lot of really jarringly weird camera angles. And uh, and a lot of this was the weirdest thing of all for a movie that supposedly is about like this, you know, these giant landscapes of, 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 of imaginative, creative landscapes. Uh, it's just these enormous full close ups, like full screen close ups on the characters faces over and over and over again in a way that's very jarring especially on a big screen hmm. uh and you know i think that it just kind of plays its its hand is not much of a hand its hand is essentially okay so here's this young girl and she doesn't have self-esteem and she should have self-esteem and so she'll have self-esteem and she has these three you know celestial beings following her around just just sort of just just miming like find your frequency and you will find your future and there it, it's just it's just non-stop it's like this it's 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 well oprah and the funny thing about oprah in this movie is that it's it's the only it's the oprahist character she's ever played because mm-hmm. it because traditionally going back to the color purple oprah has played very raw very unglamorous mm-hmm. characters yeah. and uh and in this she essentially plays herself she plays like a wise oracle who also, for whatever reason, spends the first half of the movie about four times bigger than anyone else on screen. <laughs> and so there are just all these really fucking weird, poorly CG'd like, like scenarios where everyone is like human size. And then there's just this giant Oprah standing there <laughs> with her hands folded. I think that's actually how I think that's actually how, how it is. I think I mean, I think it's how it feels at, mm-hmm. at the very least. So it, that's the one piece of truth in the movie, I think. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it, 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 it doesn't really do the clearest job of explaining, like if you haven't read the book, it starts throwing around these words that are not words, like tesser, which is a word that, that's like a verb for how they manage to like go through these wrinkles in time to try to find the missing dad. There is like a, a name mm. for the bad place. That's a weird name that they never really. I hate like, this entire story already. Let you just start with that. <laughs> they just jump from like you know like realm to realm in a very sort of Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz way. Nope. Shut it down. But without ever really telling you where you are or what's going on, and just over relying way 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 too much on these really bold but misguided visuals, and it it just doesn't work. There's not really any performances to cheer on. Um, it, 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 yeah, I, I just sat there like this is even. I mean, Gugu's in it. Gugu plays her mom and uh, plays a young girl's mom. Gugu. And uh, and but Gugu is mainly sidelined because she's back at home while the girl's off on this. I mean, off on is this Gugu quest. The common thread. She was Cloverfield. She was. She was. But you know, I love Gugu. I know. Um, and just the fact that the younger brother's name is named Charles Wallace and he's always referred to with both names is unacceptable. Mm. Unacceptable. Uh, so yeah, it, the sound mix is really bad. You miss a lot of the dialogue because of the way the music is cranked up. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And I, oh, I was, I was very saddened. I was very saddened, uh, by what I saw, uh, not to sound like our president said, uh, that was my. Were you th- say that, you were bigly disappointed. That was my exit comment to the publicist. Sad. Oh, God. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, and you know, I I do fully, fully, fully applaud the ambition 
uh, at, at on display here. Uh, you know, just to take what has always been thought of as an unfilmable novel, and to mm-hmm. and to make this mega budgeted, super inclusive, like very, 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 very affirmational uh, kind of big screen treatment out of it. You know, like it takes chutzpah, and obviously Ava has that in spades. And, you know, and I, you know, I don't think this means that she's a bad filmmaker. Everyone's allowed to make movies that don't work. This one doesn't work. And I can't wait to see what she does next. So she turned an unfilmable book into an unwatchable movie. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it takes guts. So what are you giving it? I'm giving consume moderation. I still can't bring myself to fully say send it back just because I do admire the ambition. I, you know, there's just a swinging for the fences creatively that goes on here. And just, you know, just as a giant tentpole directed by a woman of color starring a young woman of color like i would be a monster to say send it back um you're terrified but uh yes um i was all day i'm just like how do i talk about this in a way that won't make rebecca call me a racist um question for you yeah what if, what if you have uh what if you have kids i honestly don't know wow that is definitely the most like... racist thing you've ever seen <laughs> No, I honestly don't know. I feel like kids would be very, I don't, it, it's not an enjoyable movie. It has no charm to it. It has no lightness. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, it's uh, ponderous. And nope. uh, yeah, so I really, I don't know. I, I, I look forward to hearing if anyone out there does have kids and take them to see it. And I, I want to hear what they think. Uh, Wrinkle in Time is rated PG for thematic elements and some peril. Our next movie is The Death of Stalin, which is the pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Moscow, 1953. When tyrannical dictator Joseph Stalin drops dead, his parasitic cronies square off in a frantic power struggle to be the next Soviet leader. Among the contenders are the dweeby Georgi Melenkov, the wily Nikita Khrushchev, and the sadistic secret police chief. I feel like I was in a spot before that sounded a much. There it is. And the sadistic secret police chief, Laurenti Beria. But as they bumble, brawl, and backstab their way to the top, just who is running the government? I want to make a speech at my father's funeral. No, uh, no problem. Uh, technically, yes, but practically. When I said no problem, what I meant was no problem. Ignore me. I'm sorry, but I am very furious. You're the good guy now? You locked up half the nation. Yes, and now I'm releasing them. What are you doing? I've been picking out funeral cushions with Slim Hitler over there. Trust no one. Darling will be loving this. Don't worry. Nobody's going to get killed. I promise you. I've had nightmares that make more sense than this. You will not take me down! I will not be silent! This movie is banned in Russia. <laughs> Just like democracy. Mmm. Zinger. Oh, you're from the politics desk at the binge. Ooh, I'm coming in hot. That's uh, why you wear a bow tie today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am I'm, I'm shifting it side to side as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Death of Stalin. Rebecca and I watched this together mm-hmm. on Sunday, uh, just before the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not my first time seeing it. This was one of my favorite films in Toronto this past September. And I am so glad that it's getting a theatrical release. 
Oh, right. Yes. Uh, because you never know. <laughs> it was, I think, was it pushed? I thought it was supposed to happen earlier. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I didn't really hear about it for a, a long time after seeing it there. And oh. then, and then it played in Sundance. And um, and then I saw another sort of waiver of views of it, and I was like, "When's it coming out?" I think what had happened is that friend of ours, friend of the show, Mima, had seen it in the UK. Ah, yes, it was already available in the UK. That's true. That's what true. What a weird thing that doesn't usually happen. No, no, that's strange. Did she like it? Uh, I think so. I think she loved it. Okay, so we have here the latest film from the great Armando Iannucci who, despite his name, is Scottish. <laughs> uh, Scottish filmmaker behind uh, the film In the Loop mm-hmm. and the TV shows The Thick of It and the one you might know better, Veep. And if you love those things, you'll love this movie. Oh my God. Let's get the ugly part out of the way first. What are, what are we doing? How are you uh, dealing with the fact that Jeffrey Tambor is in this? Yeah. Uh, so... As Rebecca mentioned, Jeffrey Tambor is in this, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like I don't have an answer on whether that means you should or shouldn't see it. I mean, I think everyone should see it. Uh, I don't think, and he's not like a war criminal. Uh, I think, you know, he's been accused of being a real fucking asshole Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and of being inappropriate toward, um, you know, one trans woman who was his assistant and one trans woman who was acting and producing on the show. And um, and I think that makes him probably a bad person. And it seems like by his own account, he is also a bad person, even though he denies those allegations. So I don't know. But it's a little different than like um, Harvey Weinstein, where it's like entire movies were made under the premise of like, you know, sexual co- coercion and, um, right. you know, yes. rape. So there's yeah. definitely a degree, you know, I can't, and it's probably, you know, a blanket is, shouldn't be applied to these things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's always easy to be like, but I really like this person. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that we have gone in on, I'm trying to think of other people who've, who've been brought out in all of this, that we were like, who were we hard on? Um, you know, like I, I think that at the end of the day, he is a hired gun in this movie. He's not a rare director of it. Mm, that's important. He is just a member of the cast. And he's hilarious. And he's hilarious because he is a great fucking actor. Such a good role for him. Just that so good. bumbling, um, weak right. um, weirdo. Yeah. So I would say I don't think that, you know, people are supporting, uh, you know, they're, they're not like defeating Time's Up and Me Too by seeing the death of Stalin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's definitely not like, I, I don't know, I'm not really good at telling like how things are billed, but the performance wise and time on screen wise, I would think that it's not like a, it's not a solo project, you know, it's not at right, all. Right, no, like it's not his, a vehicle for Jeffrey Tambor. Right, it's a, it's a it's group. It's an ensemble. It's a, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with him and Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, Simon Russell Beale, we have Michael Palin. Uh, we have Jason Isaacs, mm. we have Rupert Friend, we have Andrea Riseborough, uh, a really killer cast, all doing such, such funny work, um, and about a very, very dark subject. So dark. This is maybe the darkest comedy that I can even conceive mm. of, where at it still point, works. At one point, I was I was like, oh, this is like the line between a comedy and what was the movie that won the uh, Academy Award maybe two years ago, foreign film about the Holocaust? Oh, Son of Saul. Son of Saul. There oh, was one point where they're walking yeah. through like a um, a Soviet prison uh, camp where they're just killing people that they, you know, political dissidents. And you just see them like kind of doing like a walk and talk about something comedic. And then you just see people like shooting each other in the background and like tumbling down the stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, the movie really, in the first act in particular, has a lot of those great, like, just like these unthinkable atrocities going on just be, like behind the characters as they're sort of glibly walking around, like firing off one-liners at each other. Right, right. Being goofy. Yes. Uh, you know, but the humor, the joke is sort of in the absurdity of living in a tyrannical state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh... You know, and I think that the movie, it's hard to imagine if it would have seemed as funny and resonant if it had come out like two years ago um, or three mm. years ago, because, you know, like now for us and, you know, for Americans, we are now, you know, living in sort of like a, you know, with a budding despot uh, who aspires to be, you know, like a strong man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like a Stalin. And um, and I was reading up today that apparently... Uh, there's been like a resurgence of love for Stalin in Russia. Uh, right. And, um, you know, and like, you know, Putin sort of openly aspires to be like a Stalin type figure. And uh, so it's 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 too it's too resonant. And I think that <laughs> but I think that what it does that is so powerful is it laughs at it. Yeah, it really does. I think to laugh at it, to mock and laugh at the absurdity of that kind of male ego Mm-hmm. Uh, is is in some ways the most harmful thing you can do to it. Yeah, like that's definitely. what it, that's what it fears most is being mocked and being laughed at, and that's why um, the film was banned because there have been other films about Stalin that were not banned in Russia, but the fact that this makes everyone involved look like this like bumbling boob, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and with enough historical accuracy on its side to not be completely off base, right. Um, apparently there's also a conspiracy theory that mm, shut it down. No, uh, no, no, no. Um, that there's a scene where there's a, there's a, there's a dissident pianist played by Olga Karlienko mm-hmm. who, um, who shows up to un, 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 unbeknownst to her, is booked to play piano at Stalin's uh, funeral. And, um, when she looks at the body, she says, small, he's so small. And that is allegedly what Boris Yeltsin said when he, or not, not, not allegedly, that is word for word what Boris Yeltsin said when he met Putin for the first time in, 19, in 1999. Really? So I guess some think that it may have been a dig at Putin being little, mm. just like our president has tiny hands. <laughs> so that's the thing is like, it's the mockery. Like that's the stuff that, you know, keeps Trump up at night along with all that indigestion from those burgers <laughs> is, uh, you know, is just like, you know, feeling like he's not taken seriously. That everyone's right. laughing at him. You look at moments in history in such a somber way and such serious and you think of um, you know these tyrants and their you know army of um, you know uh, henchmen who do you know evil terrible things and then you know it's just the idea of like they're also management and they don't know what the fuck they're doing and they're making dumb mistakes <laughs> and when you have these unrealistic expectations of people like the movie starts mm-hmm. off with them. Um, the orchestra like the national orchestra performing and then like they realize they didn't record it so they have to like round everybody back up to do it again like the how in practice silly and impossible it is to like Mm -hmm. you know please someone who's unpleasable and like tyrannical right and then well even you know so yeah in that scenario was that you know they didn't record it and then stalin calls up because he'd been listening and he demands a recording of it and so Mm -hmm. then they have to scramble to record it and then um they start to talk about like well you know how's he going to know the difference Right, uh, anyway, right. and then um, and then like one guy freezes. Is like, are you suggesting that 
that Comrade Stalin does not have the discerning ears to tell the difference. And um, and then they all just start stopping or like looking around for like where the room could be bugged. And they're like, well, no, no, of course. Comrade Stalin has the best ears. Um, and it just feels so Trumpy. It <laughs> it's really just does. So, it's just like that need to like... Uh, yeah, just a, that 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 yeah, just that egomaniacal insanity of, of needing to you and know, just like a bunch of sycophants and oh, like yeah. uh, like oh, you're you know, you do have the best people and the best ears and the best words. Uh, it is jarringly resonant. There's some really standout performances by uh, Andrew Riseborough and um, Rupert Friend, who play Stalin's uh, children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Stalin. come in after Stalin passes away and uh, she is really something else. We last seen her in, as you as you mentioned. Right. Battle of the Sexes. Where she plays a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Here she's like unhinged a bit and... Um, and grieving, super high strung, mm-hmm. needing reassurance, wondering what's happening to her now. And also like a really good foil for the like bumbling Id- idiocy of the bureaucracy around her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and- her, his son comes flying in hot. <laughs> Rupert Friend is so, so funny in this movie. As Stalin's like wild, alcoholic, useless son. Yeah. Who just comes in like accusing people of killing his father uh it just has Talk some of the best lines yeah. he's like he's a classic conspiracy theorist in this movie he walks in while they're doing like the autopsy and like cutting his head open and he's just accusing everyone in the room of, of killing him right there being monsters and sucking his brain out with an american <laughs> thought machine yeah i think the first scene where you meet his character uh he is trying to hastily reassemble a <laughs> hockey team that was lost when a plane crashed and so he's like just brought in a bunch of random guys and put them in hockey uniforms to try to like get them back on track uh, because they can't because because they say Soviet planes do not crash, <laughs> and so and so it's just that kind of you know the whole just yeah like the crumbling empire the delusions of a crumbling empire mm-hmm. will always be funny right yes exactly um, and uh, and that's very much what we have here so it's really it's the toppest of flights political satire made mm-hmm. about one of the darkest darkest eras um, that is all too resonant now and it does get in the end it is serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a movie that laughs the whole way. Um, in its final stretch, it becomes very grave and quite jarring and somewhat disturbing. Mm-hmm. Graphic, yeah, graphic. Um, and because I think it 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 shows there that it's it doesn't think that at the end of the day that and Ianucci doesn't at the end of the day think this is all laughing matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants to show uh, you know that like that the sort of just the humanity and the mortality. That it's not all just, you know, a joke to him. And uh, and to see what, you know, at the end of the day, these people are capable of. You know, like, this is the action that this, all this talk we just watched for an hour and a half leads to. And um, and then how futile it is and how quickly then that's overthrown. Mm-hmm, and just, right. like, the endless, endless cycle of, 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 you know, men fucking over other men for power and doing whatever they need to do to, to gain it. Uh, you know, it's a tale as old as time, but it's mm-hmm. never, it's rarely been told in a funnier or more bracing way than it is here. Yeah, there are a couple of um, scenes. There's one where um, just sort of like the one of the, now that Stalin has passed, like one of the women that they're sort of keeping as like a, like a maybe you could call it comfort woman or just like mm-hmm. a, they're using her. Really um, just a rape, rape prisoner. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. There you go. Um, and there's another scene where like a bunch of, you know, people who are kind of told to do something, you know, go the wrong way, like get killed. So these, there are these moments of like very serious, like upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like these, these sort of humorous scenes of people like falling in the background, uh, that are like, um, slapstick style 
Um, and then also the, this movie is also very beautiful. Like the, mm, mm-hmm. the colors are very rich, very saturated. These like beautiful shots of um, Moscow or is it St. Petersburg at the time? I don't know. I think Moscow. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll believe you. I think it's in the summary. <laughs> but no it is and i didn't even think about how, how beautiful it was because i'm just so i'm so taken in by its by like the, the fireworks of its dialogue mm. and the way it's you know performed by the incredible cast but then when you point out how beautiful it was then i was struck by that and you're so right it's it's very handsomely shot mm-hmm. you know it's shot like you know vittorio storaro it feels like one of the greats uh and um you know and and so and, and it's not often that that kind of like sort of visual precision can go hand in hand with like riotous laughter right 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 and yet here they make fine bedfellows mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's uh, i've seen it i guess how many times now three i think and i think i'm gonna see it a fourth on monday mm. and i am a big big fan i would love to see it again um invite me over uh the death of stalin is rated r for language throughout violence and some sexual references and that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Thoroughbreds. Two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. Together, they had to plan to solve both of their problems, no matter what the cost. How'd you find me? Asked around. That is so fucking unprofessional. You got a gun? None of your fucking business. Multiple guns? Multiple guns? No! What am I, fucking Rambo? Yes, I have a gun. Good. Why good? Because then Lily has a business proposition for you. If we were going to do this, we would both need to be far away with airtight alibis. Yeah, creepy friend. I know. This movie seems like it would be of, uh, of interest to you. It does, doesn't it? Is it? No. Fuck. All right. What are you giving it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, as, as, as listeners might know, I love a story about teenage girls, uh, especially a dark story about teenage girls. And, um, and this is that, and it starts off strong enough, but it just doesn't quite stick the landing and it kind of gives up on trying to stick the landing about halfway in. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so we have a story here about these two young women who are both, you know, affluent white teens uh, Finally, a movie about them. Sorry, um, they suffer too. No, they cause suffering in this. But and um, and so we have this one who is this sort of more upstanding, popular teen, and then we have another who is um, who has just gotten out of the loony bin because she killed a horse mm. um, for reasons that will be explained later. And so basically, the crazy girl's mom asked the popular girl's mom to have the popular girl and the crazy girl come together so popular girl can tutor crazy girl. And um, and then they sort of, um, you know, have this very awkward, bumpy, um, yes, we know each other, we used to be friends, but then you got all weird and crazy. Um, Was and- she the Jenna Maroney that electrocuted all those horses? 
<laughs> Thank you for our weekly 30 Rock reference. You're welcome. Yes. And um, and well, these actresses. So it's Anya Taylor Joy plays the um, plays the upstanding young girl, and Anya Taylor Joy was in The Witch, and she mm-hmm, was in mm-hmm. um, uh, Split, the Shyamalan movie. And then Olivia Cook plays the crazy girl. She's on Bates Motel. She was in Mean Earl and the Dying Girl. Mm-hmm. She was Earl. No, she was the dying <laughs> dying girl. And uh, so I'll call them Anya and Olivia. So, uh, so yeah, so there's kind of this, this, you know, this detente that they reach where, uh, where Olivia, who is completely just affectless, she's, she's a, she's a sociopath fully, um, uh, you know, like textbook sociopath, uh, Anya kind of presents that she's not, but then she kind of drops her act at the end of the first act and is sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, we are the same. Mm. So that's okay i guess interesting um but then this is where it all starts to kind of go off the rails because anya hates her stepfather for reasons that are never ever spelled out they're never made clear we just know they don't like each other they don't get along and um and so anya and olivia start to talk about like what if we killed him and uh and the fact that Olivia decides to go along with this plan despite having no actual discernible reason to. Quickly, is Olivia the rich one or the crazy one? Olivia's a crazy one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, which is all the more kind of, kind of confusion. So, uh, yeah. So Anya's the rich one. Olivia's the crazy one. And Anya's like, I don't like my stepdad. And Olivia's like, oh, wow, I can really tell. You really hate him. And then eventually he's like, you know, well, what if you just killed him? And then Anya kind of like sleeps on it, and the next day is like, <laughs> you know, maybe we should. Do you think we could get away with it? And Olivia's like, yeah, sure. And um, and so then they, you know, sort of, sort of set off trying to make a plan for how they're going to do it. And they're both just very flat and affectless uh, through this entire process. And we just never find out a why Olivia would do this. Is it because she's a sociopath? Well, but sociopath isn't just like you don't just go around killing people. She doesn't have a thirst for blood. Yeah, right. No, she's not bloodthirsty. She just has, <laughs> she, she she just has a flat affect. Mm-hmm. She even <laughs> she, yeah, she's just kind of a dullard. I'm not right. saying she's <laughs> she, she's just a real dial tone. <laughs> and um, you know, she killed the horse for a reason. Uh, <laughs> what did that horse do? Uh, uh, Anya didn't like the horse. Uh, so no, the horse. Uh, I believe it was uh, like a medical situation. Huh. Um, but um, but then the way that she went about it was very, very brutal and bloody. Mm. Um, and so that was, I think, where it was meant to be more like shocking. Because um, I think she like, either she cut its head off or something along those lines. That seems really hard. Yes. And she describes it in very harrowing detail mm. in, 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 in flat affect in the movie. Um, so... Anyway, so we never understand why she wants to kill her stepdad, uh, why Anya wants to kill her own her own stepdad, and we never understand aside from just garden variety uh, annoyance with him, and uh, and we never understand why Olivia decides to go along with it, and uh, and then we just kind of watch what feels like a very familiar story. They you know they recruit uh, sort of a local drug dealer played by the late great Anton Yelkin. Mm. who uh this is in star wars star trek star trek yep and uh this is one of his one of his last performances 
And, um, you know, and they just kind of, you know, so they're going to take advantage of this poor dumb dealer who doesn't know any better and play him against himself and take his gun. And, uh, and, uh, it all just, it, it just falls apart in, in the second half. And it's, uh, it was, and, and what, what kills me is seeing all the mark because the marketing knows that there are suckers like me out there mm-hmm. uh, who are just going to like hear like the dog whistle of this movie and be like, yes, <laughs> and, you know, and just run toward it, especially with like the primary pull quote they've been using all the marketing being like American Psycho meets Heather's. Oh, I, yeah. I, Actually, somebody at work told me about this movie today and I was like, oh, I haven't heard of it. Not knowing that I was coming here to talk about it. <laughs> And I think that he had mentioned it was like Heather's meets, and I don't know if it was American Psycho, but yeah, um, that and like, and who wouldn't hear that and think like, oh my god, I would love to see that. And you know, it's an independent movie, and you know, these like young cool cast and a directorial debut, and so it's like, oh, well, that must be really, really no, 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 no. Um, I think that so the director, writer, director is named Corey Finley. And he is definitely he's a master of mood. Like he has he's has a he has a real way with yeah, with mood, with tone. Um, you know, it's very it's very alluring, it's very, you know, you feel that kind of rising dread as you're going through it. Um, and there is a climactic scene of violence that is done in a breathtaking, brilliant way. Um, but everything else around it is just empty. It's all, it's just, yeah, all, it's the usual kind of the, that cliche of all style, no substance. Mm. Uh, there's just nothing to it. And, you know, like it's not heavenly creatures, not Mm. by a goddamn long shot. Um, it has not like Heather's not even really funny. Uh, Mm. you know, like you can't just have a movie that has like teenagers killing people and be like, it's like Heather's. Like, mm. you know, like there's, there's, you know, stylistically a lot of different things that make Heather's Heather's, uh, that have nothing to do with just sort of like this, like this, this gauzy, blank, opaque, uh, story that we have in, in Thoroughbreds. It's a very Lana Del Rey sound to it. It really does. It really is a very, like, it's sort of a Lana Del Rey feature film, um, in a way. Um, but it's not really as glamorous as you would think a Lana Del Rey feature film would be. It sounds like it's like a criticism of this concept of, you know, cold, um, beautiful, cruel women. Mm-hmm. And I think that it because it's based on that conceit that it's it fails because that is just that's a personality type that men project um, that doesn't actually exist. So it's not seeing it from the women's point of view. Wow. It's from a point of view like that's a very like a tropey type mm-hmm. thought that a lot of like uh, terrible dudes have. That's, that's my. That's I'm coming in hot. Haven't seen it. That's interesting. <laughs> that's no. it. I haven't seen it. No, that's interesting because you know that. I mean, so you're saying like the femme fatale, in right? Gen- right is is a male construct to yeah to kill just for like these killing purposes mm-hmm. um, because you know they're you're too cool. It's like either like a youth thing or like a misogyny thing, right? So, all the isms. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. I think that it because it's not it doesn't you know really exist is why it is it's hard to to make a movie about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably well. I think that even with even though it's imaginary, there are ways to to write and perform those characters that are very like compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like yeah, just like looking back at all like the classic femme fatales, uh, you know, like that when Lauren Bacall or Barbara Stanwyck would play them. Uh, you know, but in this, they're just blanks, and it doesn't have anything to say. That's the thing. Like if it's just like saying like, oh yeah, you know, the wealthy, you know, wealthy teens sure are terrible uh like no no shit 
<laughs> not tear out the front page. And I feel like that could be that was that's done in like a different way and successfully with something like funny games, mm-hmm. where it's just because oh, because they're like so crazy and like it's kind of terrifying to have someone that disconnected like come and like you know ravage your house and family. Um, but yeah. but yeah, I don't know. Again, it, haven't seen it, so have yeah. to have to step back a moment. Yeah. No, I mean no. I think you're you're still you're still picking up because that's the thing is that it's so derivative and it's so mm. not unique. Uh, that like you can just talk about these other movies that are similar to it <laughs> and you are like landing hits on this movie. I like so. this podcast. That's a compliment. You said I was right once. <laughs> Another thing you just said that was nice. Well, you know, I want to send you out on a high note because we are taking a brief hiatus after this. We are. I'm going to Argentina. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Argentina. <laughs> Buenos Aires. Um, yeah, so we won't have a show next week. Or and for a few weeks. Maybe the week after. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Oh, okay. Uh, we're putting it maybe on the table. Oh. Um, but yeah, we will see how things are. But... Who knows if I'll come back? <laughs> the dollar's worth a lot down there, maybe or maybe not. We can only tell by the time I land. <laughs> um, I might be able to buy a mansion, or I might be calling you. To wire me cash. It's like downsizing all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Second racist thing you've said today. A review we never released. Oh, right. The lost episode. Mm-hmm. The last again. episode? No, the lost episode. Lost. Um, maybe maybe for your birthday. Um, what are you... So we're giving this one to send it back? That was two months ago. I know. <laughs> maybe for my birthday. <laughs> now I'll be in Argentina. Never mind. Well, that's the thing. You can release it and then flee to Argentina, so you never have to <laughs> face the backlash. It's just me and a, a bunch of other people yeah. who are um, uh, podcast escapees, <laughs> right. embarrassed of the things like, they've you, done. You got too drunk too, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thoroughbred, I'm going to also give a consumer moderation to. Wow. So just, generous sometimes. Just because I really, you know, I, I, I think that the, the filmmaking in terms of, of the look, the visual the vibe is really um, well done. I think the the young actresses are both really incredible, uh, and it does really pull off a hell of a of a of a, of a showstopper fi- uh, finale scene. Mm. Um, but uh, but for all the other reasons I listed, I definitely wouldn't give it a binge. It and this is I I wouldn't go to theaters to see this. I mm. would say, yeah, if you have a chance to watch it at some point on you know streaming, then yeah, you could do worse. Uh, Thoroughbreds is rated R for disturbing behavior, bloody images, language, sexual references, and some drug content. Um, and that is it. Thank you so much for tuning into the uh, binge for this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user. And if you're on Android, you can use Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. And I think even Google Play Music has it on there. Uh, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye bye. Bye guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.